the revolution. We're going to be getting into what that means and how that works in our lives in these next three weeks as we break that down. Uh, that's a critical question for all of us, is do you want to be part of this revolution? And it's a pretty incredible revolution. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We praise you more than anything else. We praise you for your son, the mark that he had on this earth and the mark that he continues to have. And Lord, help us to be part of that revolution. Thank you for all the things, the amazing things that Jesus has done for all of us, including uh, defeating death and the resurrection and giving us the hope of eternal life. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. When you talk about that word, that's a, that's a pretty heavy word. That's not a word you use every day, revolution. Uh, so let me just give you a quick uh, description of what that even means. Uh, the word officially means this, a sudden, complete change, radically new or innovative outside or beyond the established procedure. Let me read that again. It is a sudden, complete change, radically new and innovative outside or beyond the established procedure. Now, there are throughout in our lifetime what I would call revolutionary products. In other words, there are things that change our culture. Uh, let me give you an example of one small product. On January 9th, 2007, uh, Steve Jobs introduced a brand new product that he said was revolutionary and was going to change the world. Anybody know what that product was? The iPhone, okay? How many would agree with that, that that's kind of changed a few things? Anyone? Get your hands up, because you've all got it. Okay, yeah, trust me. And here's the thing, uh, uh, Neil Donhauer and others, uh, Larry, uh, Duana, those who have traveled uh, all over the world, they'll tell you one of the very first things is, even in extreme poverty, guess what? You'll still see iPhones and Coca-Cola, okay? And Sherwood Oaks, she has to love t-shirts. So, I mean, all over the world, we need to understand that those things exist. Now, when you think about the iPhone and think, well, what would make that revolutionary? Well, it's exactly what we described. It's innovative. It was outside of the established procedure, and it was culturally relevant. And the ripple effect from that is simply this. This summer, uh, you probably uh, read that the market share of uh, Apple now is, anybody catch that? One zillion. That's a Z, zillion, okay? Uh, that's a few more bucks than I make, okay? But think about a zillion, okay? That shows you the impact that is still going on with an iPhone. But that's not what I want to talk about this morning. I don't want, I don't want to talk about a product. The next three weeks, actually, we're going to get into revolutionary examples in the New Testament. Today, we're going to talk about Jesus, a revolutionary man. August 26th, we're going to talk about Jesus and Peter, a revolutionary relationship. And then on the second, we're going to talk about a revolutionary community, the church, the church in the first century and the church today. If you're like me, you grew up uh, with the Beatles and you remember the song Revolution. You say you want a revolution. Well, you know, we all want to what? Change the world. We all want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And that's how a revolution begins. So this morning, let's simply step back and ask that very important question. What did Jesus do that made him a revolutionary? I mean, what did he do? And really, there's two things that Jesus did. I believe with all my heart, there's two things that he did that made him a revolutionary and that will make us a revolutionary. And here it is. First of all was the message 
of Jesus was revolutionary, the message. John 15, verses 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Mark 10, 44 and 45. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Did you catch that message? Jesus, the co-creator of the universe, came to us and did not come as a king to rule with an iron fist, but he came as a king to what? Serve. And not only did he ask uh, through his life to serve through his example, he's asked every one of us to do the same thing. It was a radical message of service and love. So let me ask you something. Do those words, I love you, that Jesus uttered to all the people that he came in contact, does, does those words of love still make a difference today? Think about that. Does love still bring about change in people's life? Does love still matter? How many grandparents do we have here? Would you raise your hand? Raise your hand. Good. Two or three. <laughs> Wait, we got a few more. Than that. Okay. Uh, when your grandson or granddaughter crawls on your lap and says, I love you, how's that, how's that land? Yeah. I've watched grandpas. It's like, get out the wallet. Here we go. Yeah, what do you need? What? Why? Because love still matters. We all know that. Love still matters. Uh, I want to give you an example of the power of, of love. In 1993, uh, there's one of my favorite college basketball coaches. His name is uh, Jim Valvano, or Jimmy V, a lot of people call him. And uh, Jim Valvano was fired from North Carolina State, very controversial. And uh, in 1993, they were having a 10-year reunion. Uh, from the time that they won the national championship in 83. If you remember that, and I do, when they won the championship, Valvano's running all around trying to find somebody to hug. Nobody will hug him. And uh, it was just one of the most classic things ever. But Valvano was battling cancer when he came back for this reunion. So imagine, first of all, the angst and the bitterness, first of all, of going back to a place that had fired you. And then the sheer raw emotion of seeing all these players again knowing uh, most likely, in just a few weeks, I will never see you again. And uh, you can actually go on YouTube and watch that ceremony. And uh, all the players were lined up. And one by one, Jim Valvano held them tight, and you could hear them whispering each other's ear. And then Jim Valvano, at the end, gave a short speech, and he said, some of you are probably wondering, what in the world were we saying to one another? And he said, very simply, we simply said, I love you. I love you. Grown men need to know how important those words are. I love you. I've worked in youth ministry for 20 years uh, before I moved on to doing other things. But I will tell you, in youth ministry, I cannot tell you how empty I saw so many young people because, to be honest with you, they really didn't hear the words, I love you, from their dads. So let me just talk to the men here for a second. You may think it's macho to not say, I love you, and I want you to know that's wrong. You need to say, I love you. And if that's hard, get over yourself, because you have no idea how important those words are. 
And for some of you sitting here today, there may be somebody God's laying on your heart right now that before the day is over, that you know need to, you need to share, I love you with someone. Love still changes things. Change that is revolutionary. But let me change gears for just a little bit. I'm not trying to talk out of both sides of my mouth, but I, I want you to listen clearly. Something that's interesting. Jesus spoke 13 times specifically about love, yet he spoke 190 times about judgment, repentance, and hell. Now think about that. Jesus spoke 13 times specifically about love, but he spoke 190 times about judgment, repentance, and hell. Now if I surveyed 1,000 people and I said, describe Jesus in one word, what do you think the word would be? Love. So you say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, here's what we do sometimes. If we're not careful, we preach a gospel as if that's all Jesus ever talked about is what I would call cotton candy love. And that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught truth. And part of the truth was what? There is a judgment that we need to repent, that we need to change. And part of his message was hard, but what sets us free? What's the scripture say? Is it love that sets us free? No, what is it? And the truth will set you free. So then what did Jesus do? Everything he did was what? Motivated by love. Motivated by love. So even as he spoke out about judgment, his heart was breaking. He's saying, the reason I'm telling you that there is a judgment and that there is a hell is because I love you. I don't want you to go down that path. I don't want you to experience that pain. Motivated by love. I read an amazing blog, and I want to just share this briefly. Uh, this is by Mark D. Roberts. Uh, listen to what he says. If you were to ask the average person what Jesus preached, in other words, his message, you would hear the word love. Love each other. Jesus even said, love your enemies. But if Jesus had been running around the first century Judea telling people to love each other, and that was his only message, he would not have been crucified on the Roman cross. Neither the Romans nor the Jewish authorities would have been particularly bothered by a Jewish prophet who told people to love each other. Jesus' message spoke with an urgency. And his urgent message was, the kingdom is what? Here. In other words, I'm here right with you. God in the flesh. And here's what you need to know. I'm going to speak truth. That there are hard times if you don't give your life to God. If you don't change, then you will never experience the love that God wants you to experience. God wants all of us to experience that love. Truth is hard, but when it's done in love, we do it the way Jesus did it. That's the message of Jesus. And that is a revolutionary message. But the second thing I love about Jesus is the method of Jesus is revolutionary. Luke 6, now uh, verses 12 and 13, I love this. In one of those days, Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him. He chose 12 of them, whom he'd also designated apostles. Jesus changed the world by investing in a few. Now, I want you to think about the mission of Jesus. Luke 19.10 says he came to seek and to save the lost. How did he do that? Now, if we were to put together uh, a strategy for Jesus, 
How many of us would make that the strategy to change the world? Invest the majority of your time in 12 people. <laughs> Invest in a few. How important was it? He stayed up all night to pray for that. All night he prayed, Lord, I want you to lay on my heart the burden for these individuals that I'm going to invest in. At Sherwood Oaks, one of the core values is to mentor across generations. So let me give you a quick commercial about something that is very important. Um, this Wednesday, uh, we're going to start, again, uh, something for all ages, men and women and our kids, and at the foundation of it all is God's Word. I cannot tell you how important that is. And one of the things that we're going to do in that study is we're going to break groups into small groups because that's where real change happens. When you can have an opportunity to share with others, not in a big group setting, but in small groups. So for example, the men are going to be studying, it's called the Bible Project, and we are so excited. We're going to, get, we're going to start working our way through the entire Bible. And we're going to allow men to ask the most difficult questions about these books of the Bible. And what's the Bible all about? But we're also going to do it in a setting very comfortable so that men can be in small groups. I cannot tell you how important it is for all of us to realize this is the method of Jesus. To invest in a few. Who are you investing in right now? I mean, who are you intentionally investing in and willing to spend time with to help them in their walk with Jesus? I want you to listen to this, I just think this extremely heartfelt prayer of Jesus uh, found in John. And let me just share with you this text. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world anymore, as I am not of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. Now let me drop down to verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who believe in me through your message. So here's Jesus lifting up this, in John 17, this heartfelt prayer. And what was that prayer all about? He's praying on behalf of those that he's invested in. That small group of people that he's willing to die for, and his heart is breaking, and he's sharing with them, first of all, Lord, sanctify them. And in other words, Lord, they are going to be set apart. Lord, they're going to be set apart to do amazing things for you. As they are pursuing you, that is sanctification, is I am pursuing Jesus Christ. I want to be like Jesus. So when you hear holiness, that means every day I'm wanting to be like Jesus. And he's saying, I know. If they communicate this message of love, this radical message of change, they are going to be what? Persecuted. That's not even an option. And so he doesn't pray that they won't be persecuted. What does he pray for? Protection from who? The evil one. It's the same prayer for all of us. Lord, protect them because they're going to start investing in a few. And this whole ripple effect is taking effect. But Lord, just give them strength. And then in verse 20, that is for us. Don't just pray for the disciples. Pray for those who are coming after them. That's everyone that's sitting here today. You're part of the group that Jesus is praying for. Because he knows we're going through the same thing. Are you willing to practice the message of Jesus and the method of Jesus? Are you willing to reach out and do whatever it takes to start investing in a few? Howard Hendricks said this, and I love it. There is no identity crisis in the life of Jesus Christ. He knew who he was. 
He knew where he came from, and he knew why he was here. And when he knew where he was going, and when you have that, you are free. Do you know why you're here? And do you know what your purpose is? And do you know the impact you can have if you start praying, God, who can I start investing in the way that you have invested in me? I heard a minister years ago, he shared this about him and an elder. Uh, and in their church, they had a woman who was going through a terrible marriage. And finally, the, uh, this toxic, abusive marriage came to an end. And uh, she had been physically beaten and uh, was devastated, had this little guy about six or seven years old. And the church had been helping out, and this elder and the uh, minister showed up just to talk and share and pray with her, find out if there's anything else they could do to help. And, of course, she's just devastated. Uh, she's thankful that the church is there for her, but she doesn't really know how she's going to get through this whole ordeal, and she's really worried about her little one. And uh, he comes walking in, and he's been eavesdropping. You know how kids do that all the time? He's been eavesdropping. And uh, as they're talking, uh, an elder looked at uh, this little guy and said, hey, would you like a piece of gum? And he goes, oh, I'd love that. And he goes, just take the whole pack of gum. So he, every kid will never, you know, a pack of gum, that's gold. You know, so this kid's, you know, because he knows mom is popping the gum. And as he's chewing the gum, he, he looked at that elder and he said, hey, mister, can I ask you something? And he said, sure. He said, are you Jesus? He said, no, but Jesus would, would have given you a piece of gum. He would have given you a lot more than that. You're the only hands and feet for Jesus for so many people. You know that, don't you? For some of you, your family, you're the only Christian in your family. So when I say invest in a few, I'm talking about your family. For some of you, uh, you're in marriages and your spouses, they're not believers, and life is hard, and I just want you to know we're praying for you because you may be the only voice of Jesus. Some of you that are teachers are in classrooms with kids, and you know that. They know nothing about Jesus. They grow up in terrible households. You're the only Jesus they're going to know. Some of you are working with folks every day, and you know they don't know Jesus. You are the lifeline. You're the lifeline. You're the only Jesus some people are ever going to experience. That's the method of Jesus, that we take the love of Jesus, and then we take the method of Jesus, and that's when life begins to change for others. And you know what they call that? A revolution. It was a revolution then, and it can be a revolution today.